Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Doesn't it feel like everyone is looking to Gen Z to build a better future? Luckily, Snapchat has seen that this generation believes it is their responsibility to drive change right now. The Snapchat generation cares deeply about their communities, and they're encouraging brands to take real action so they too can use their platform for good. You can meet the Snapchat generation and learn more about them by visiting snapchat.com generation. That's snapchat.com slash generation. You're listening to Yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about uh, advertising, marketing, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. And uh, with me, as always, is Co-M. Uh, it's a very exciting uh, week. It's one of my favorite episodes of the year, our Young Influentials issue, Co. Yes. Yes, it's one of my favorite issues just because we know who the, the young, powerful, and influential are. And uh, today we have a special guest. But before I begin, I want to kind of give an overview of who else is on the list. Uh, who are you excited to see, David? Oh, man. Well, I feel like we need to bring in our guest before because I want to get her uh, opinion because this is the most meta guest we have ever had on this podcast <laughs> because to talk about uh who is influential right now in the world we have one of the foremost experts on influential people in the world why don't you introduce her all right we have our technology reporter uh from the new york times i love seeing her byline uh when i get ever i get my print copy uh but she can you probably also know her from instagram twitter tiktok everywhere taylor lorenz welcome to our show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, this is, I, I think, uh, anyone who is active in social media uh, in 2020 or 2019 or 2018 probably knows Taylor as uh, it has been fascinating to see your career grow as really one of the uh, pro most prominent voices in observing and commenting on the rise of influencer culture and the way that it has changed. And uh, in that regard, I'd be curious to hear what you think of the rise of our cover stars. Uh, which is uh, Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio, uh, who are uh, on the cover of this year's Young Influentials issue. That felt like kind of a, some years we have a lot of debate 
about who is going to be on the cover and some years uh we don't um and this was a year where i think we all just were like it it's gonna be charlie and, and dixie uh it, how how quickly does it feel like they kind of rose to prominence uh on, on tiktok especially very quickly. Um, I actually was on a fellowship last fall, so I couldn't write the first profile of Charlie, but I flagged it to a friend of mine at Mel Magazine who did write the first profile of her. And I think that was just back in October or November. She exploded onto the app and grew faster than I think anyone has ever seen anyone grow um, and is now just the, completely the queen bee. Um so it's it's crazy. I mean, this just shows how this app can propel someone to stardom in literally under, you know, six months, nine months. Well, and and it's kind of nice that she seems like a good person. Like she didn't get yeah. there through like uh, questionable behavior or encouraging. Like she just seems like an. I, I think to me that's been one of the nicest surprises is just to see that someone who. Uh, is is it not? I don't think everyone needs to be squeaky clean, but on the other hand, it's kind of nice after certain influencers have had so many headlines in the last few years to see someone rise just by being kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, and using their influence to entertain, right? Not just with the dances, but also to inform. I remember um, one of the videos uh, that uh, that she posted um, in the middle of you know social unrest was about Black Lives Matter, and I think as of press time, um, you know, her, her icon, her profile icon is still, um, the BLM logo. Um, so I'm curious how you kind of, you know, find, um, find out about, uh, these young influentials and, um, what you make of, uh, how, how they're propelled into, to stardom now. I mean, they're so young, 16 and 18. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy just how many, how young some of these kids are. I mean, Charlie was 15 when she started to get really popular and, um, it's kind of terrifying because that level of fame that quickly at that age, like you said, so many people go off the rails or, you know, start saying really problematic stuff. And, um, Charlie has sort of expertly avoided all of that. I think she's everyone's kind of unproblematic fave, um, (laughs) out of, you know, all the TikTok stars. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very interesting how it happens. I think the fame cycle now today in 2020 happens faster than any other time, I think previously. Um, because it just took so much longer to grow. You can't grow the way that you can on TikTok on Instagram or YouTube. It just takes longer. Yeah, we, we just had a bonus episode about TikTok with Scott Nover, our platforms reporter, kind of catching us up on that. And we talked about the algorithm being kind of the most misunderstood part of TikTok for people who have not used it and how it just it can dump people into your for your page that you would normally never cross paths with. Uh, and then that it, that's what gives me that sense when I when I use TikTok even as an older person who is not really following the coolest folks on there other than, you know, present company excluded. Um <laughs> You know, the uh, and all of a sudden you see someone on there and then two days later they have 800,000 followers. Uh, It just feels like, to your point, the propulsion, thanks to that algorithm, is something I've just never seen an equivalent of that. Yeah, it's incredible. What do you think about um, the the innovation of um, and adoption of technology, especially through the pandemic? We have some other social media folks on our list, including... Um, the influencer strategist from Chipotle and um, the the content head um, and of creative innovation at Twitter. Um, but, you know, as some other platforms like Instagram Reels 
coming out, um, Triller raising lots of money. Um, I know you also have an invite and have experienced Clubhouse. Um, what, what do you think is happening now in the space and how do you kind of divide your attention as you cover um, all this technology and, and community? Yeah, the pandemic has definitely forced everyone online to a level that has been also unprecedented. Um, and it's been crazy to just see how all of that plays out. I think we've seen a huge boost in a lot of platforms. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Triller, Dub Smash, all these, you know, all of these platforms have seen a boost even before, you know, TikTok was being potentially banned, just because there's more people spilling onto the internet now than than, you know, before the pandemic, um, you're also seeing a lot of people embrace new features, well, not even new features, but just embrace features that were previously maybe underutilized on different apps. Like I'm really thinking about Instagram live. I feel like, I feel like before the pandemic, people went live, but not to the same extent that they were doing during the pandemic. Um, I feel like it's tapered off a little bit now, but, you know, I wrote about these Instagram live strip clubs that were cropping up and, um, you know, just all the celebrity usage. And so it's, it's kind of been hard to keep up with some of it because, um, you know, I have my like routine of checking certain apps and stuff. And especially with the live streaming stuff, it's like, if you miss it, sometimes it's hard to go back and see. Well, and it feels like obviously this has been the the quarantine period has also seen the rise of OnlyFans, which, uh, you know, in addition to being very popular with sex workers and with the, you know, people from the adult industry, it, it also is an interesting kind of case study in how you monetize influence. Um, and I'm just curious if you think we're going to see that go beyond just what is now OnlyFans, uh, because I've seen a lot of brands interested in this. I've seen a lot of influencers. And I think there's questions about whether OnlyFans itself is the right platform for them just because of its reputation for for being popular with sex workers or people in the adult industry or adjacent to it. But do you see like some buzz around the the revenue side of that, of people subscribing to your content? I mean, 100%. I think that's like the new wave that everyone's talking about. And OnlyFans is definitely more mainstream now. I mean, you have all of these very mainstream influencers on it. It's not just sex workers. But I was really disappointed to hear, you know, I was talking to a big uh, TikTok star yesterday and talking about getting sort of everyone in, in her TikTok house on OnlyFans. And um, with the influencer was saying that essentially um, brands, if they see you have an OnlyFans, won't work with you or that it's really hard to get brand deals. And a lot of brands that they've worked with, I guess, have expressed trepidation in, in sort of continuing to work with these stars if they have an OnlyFans. And that's just really disappointing to hear because I think it's it's kind of like stigmatizing this whole platform just because sex workers use it. And I hope that that's, I I hope that's not true. And I hope that brands can realize that, um, you know, OnlyFans and all of these platforms are just another way to kind of um, monetize yourself and have, you know, a a steady stream of income. Brand deals, especially right now with the pandemic are so touch and go. A lot of stuff's been canceled. Marketing budgets are tightening. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of influencers, OnlyFans is a really incredible, viable way to monetize. Um, and I do think that we're going to see more copycat services like that as well. It, it, there's one other ne- kind of, ne- well, not kind of, a negative aspect of influence that I really was was eager to talk to about you with is that there's 
it, obviously it's great. It's great when you get uh, publicity or when you get visibility and you get a large audience, but also there are just so many, so many downsides to it. And yeah. I really, I really do fear for it. Uh, not, not necessarily fear, although I also fear, but I feel for, to your point about the speed with which people um, gain massive influence now and how unready I'm guessing a lot of them are. And you've been on on both sides of this of this equation of covering the downsides, uh, the negative sides of influence, but also experiencing it yourself. I guess what's your take right now on on what it's like to actually be an influencer? What is the feedback like, and what are, are the platforms doing anywhere close to enough to help protect people from from the negative sides of it? Well, the first answer to your question is no. The platforms are not doing remotely enough. Um, I mean, the, all of them are wildly insufficient, Twitter especially. Um, but, you know, there's so much toxicity on Instagram and TikTok too. And there's just these really, really, really easy things that you should be able to do to have control over your experience on these apps that these platforms just refuse to, you know, dedicate engineering resources to build, I guess. Um, I'll say that, like, it's, the past year has given me a lot more empathy um, for the struggles that people have gone through, I guess, when they get attention. I mean, I've covered influencers for a long time, but I think there wasn't as much attention on my work until the past year. And it's been really, 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 really hard to deal with. Um, and I never really realized uh, the level of harassment and um, just horrible stuff that comes with attention online. I mean, I knew about it and I've written about it a ton for it with other people, but I do think that having been through what I've been through this past year has given me just a lot more empathy when I cover these people and made me really want to protect these kids, especially, um, you know, I always kind of try to develop relationships with their parents and warn them and, have conversations about, you know, what can happen when I write about them, for instance, and just the attention that it might bring and just being really transparent about how, you know, what that means and, and how kids and families can best kind of protect themselves. What I love about, um, you know, the little profile that we have in our issue is that, you know, you do mention that you enjoy, you know, at to some level of receiving those notes from from parents and and kids, um, and I want to kind of spend this off into you know what thrills you about your job and in general what makes you what makes you happy what brings Taylor Lawrence joy. <laughs> I love writing about something that nobody's heard about before or changing someone's mind about something like. You know, I I love the stories that I, I love to do the most are more human interest um, stories about kind of how the internet is shaping people's lives in ways that they might not even think. Um, and so I just I love I love you know I've always been really interested in this stuff. Before I started writing full time, I was a social media strategist for a long time, working for brands and other media companies. And I was always really interested in this stuff, but I feel like the best part of being a reporter is just being able to call up anyone and ask them. Um, and so I, yeah, that, that's kind of, that's, that's what keeps me going. I think it's the thing that I'm most passionate about in life. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just a cool, it's a cool beat to cover. You know, when you think of technology reporting, a lot of people think of it as covering the business side of these companies. 
Um, and my colleagues do an amazing part of that. And I do cover a lot of business stuff as well. But um, for me, the, the stories that stand out are the more, yeah, the more human ones. I think, too, the speed, which we've discussed several times now because it is such a factor of 2020, the, the speed that, at which trends accelerate. Um, and I remember we this was kind of a joke, but also kind of real is I made a comment once on Twitter about like I need The New York Times to do a think piece about the word simp. And uh, and there were people who were like, no, simp's been around. It's not new. That's not a new term. But if you looked at Google Trends, right, like you can just type in any word into Google Trends and see. And it was this insane bell curve of like Did you simp. see the New York Times piece on simp? I absolutely did. I shared <laughs> it with everybody. Um, and it was like the way that that term exploded primarily on TikTok, but obviously elsewhere. And just seeing that bell curve on Google Trends and being like, no, no, literally just in two months, this term has gone from almost never being mentioned or searched to being everywhere. And that's what I love about what you and, and some of your colleagues have done at the Times is to really keep pace with that speed because I think people underestimate how hard that is in journalism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very much a breaking news reporter at heart. Um, I'm not like a feature journalist, you know, I, and I, I love news as my editor can tell my editor is often asking me to slow down a little bit, um, to kind of, you know, just, we want to make sure that we're doing the definitive story. But for years I, you know, worked in social media and was programming tweets all day. And I just, I like to work at the speed of the internet. Um, so it's a fun beat to have too, because you can, you know, some stories I just write, very quickly and they go up that day. And that's just really gratifying to see something, you know, talk to a bunch of people and put out a piece that's informative the same day. I mean, I wish I could do that every single day. Well, we, awesome. have just a few, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, uh, Co, do you want to hit yes. Taylor with a few rapid fire questions here? Yes. Okay. Taylor, how many hours do you spend on TikTok? Oh God, I don't know. Uh, probably several hours a day. I have to check my exact screen time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's horrifying for me to see. Um, what's a TikTok skill you wish you had? Uh, any ability to dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does influence mean to you? Um, I think influence is kind of the ability to change someone's perception of something or impact someone else's behavior. And who do you look up to as an influence on you? Um, I look up to other journalists. Um, my goal is to just be the best journalist that I can. And Katie Rossman, my colleague at the Times, is is that person. Um, she's just an incredible journalist that writes these definitive culture features. Um, but she's very news-driven. She gets scoops. And she's a mom. Um, and I always thought my career would have to end when I was a mom. And just seeing her do this with kids, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I just want to be like Katie. That's amazing. Uh, what do you do when you log off or to kind of zone out? Um, I, I love to watch horror movies. So I watch a lot of horror. That's that's kind of my way of uh, mentally zoning out. <laughs> this is the most surprising answer of the entire day. Oh, really? I, I who watches horror them. movies to relax? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I avoid them. Like, like I just can't. I have nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I watch like three or four horror movies a week, and I spend a lot of time <laughs> talking about them. And if I didn't work in journalism, I would try to work for Blumhouse. Um, I yeah, I it's it's like my other passion, I guess you could say. Amazing and. Um, I guess this is a longer one, but what do you think social media will look like in 10 years? 
I think we'll have a lot more social stuff integrated into the world around us and wearables. Like if you think about Amazon Alexa um, or, you know, you just the, you know, the Apple Watch, stuff like that. I think I don't think we'll be just staring at screens on a little box all day. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, being, you know, with us today, IRL. And yeah, uh, yeah congratulations on being in, uh, congratulations <laughs> yeah. on being in the young influentials list. Huh? We Taylor Lawrence that uh, means so much that you made time for us. This is my first list that I've ever been on, so I'm very honored. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's the first of many. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. All right, we're going to uh, take a quick break, and then we'll be we will be back in just a minute. Uh, so stick with us. We're all wondering about the future. But there's an entire generation already creating positive change in the world, and they're urging brands to do the same. Meet the Snapchat generation and learn more about them by visiting snapchat.com generation. That's snapchat.com generation. Today we have a special guest. We have the co-founder of 10% Happier. You may recognize him from ABC News, Dan Harris. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, Oh, mindfulness is needed, I think, more than ever, especially as we continue to cycle through times of uncertainty. Um, how has meditation come into your life and what is 10% happier? What is it trying to do to, to help with people and their well-being? Well, the, the story of how it came into my life is... Um reasonably well known which is so I'll keep it short I had a panic attack on uh on Good Morning America back in 2004 live in front of north of 5 million people and that kind of set me off on a weird and windy path that ultimately landed me on meditation and I was pretty skeptical to say the least about the benefits of meditation but I started to see the science uh the research that suggests that meditation can confer a whole long list of tantalizing health benefits like reduced blood pressure, boosted immune system, rewiring of key parts of the brain associated with focus and self-awareness. And uh, so I started doing it and I wrote a book called 10% Happier, which came out about six years ago. And that uh, ultimately turned into a podcast and also a company, a startup, uh, venture-backed uh, startup company. We have a meditation app also called 10% Happier, where we teach people how to meditate. Yeah. And I know you're in the middle of a challenge um, in terms of, you know, doing a little bit of meditation every day. Um, what does it take to, to kind of build that, that practice? You mentioned that you were a skeptic before. Um, how has it helped you personally? Well, it's helped me a lot. I don't, you know, part of the reason why I called the book 10% happier is that it, I don't believe in silver bullets. I don't, I don't think there's any, there's anything that's going to come, come along and solve all of your problems. Um, and, uh, you know, I, in researching my book, I spend a little bit of time in the self-help world and there's a lot of over-promising, I think sort of reckless over-promising. And so part of why I wanted to call it 10% happier was to counter program against this idea that there's something out there that's going to fix everything for you. But now that I'm stuck with math jokes the rest of my life, um, I, I, what I do believe is that the 10% compounds annually. And really, that gets to the core thesis of, uh, of meditation and what has become my core thesis. I mean, I sometimes jokingly refer to myself as an evangelical, and, 
an evangelical uh, spreads the gospel and the gospel translates into that word translates into to good news. And so I think the good news is that the what the science is showing us, the science around meditation, is that the brain and the mind are trainable. And so all the mental states that we want, happiness, calm, uh, uh, peace of mind, focus, generosity, compassion, connectedness, these are not factory settings that are unalterable, but in fact are skills that are trainable. And so for me, training up my ability to be less emotionally reactive, less of an idiot, um, more <laughs> focused, uh, kinder, et cetera. And kindness, by the way, isn't just some sort of, when I use that word, I don't mean it like in a finger waggy kind of way. I mean that if you have better relationships with people, the science shows that inexorably will lead to a happier life. Um, and so all of the, uh, developing these skills is an enormous benefits in my own life. I just want to be careful to say that these are skills that take a while to generate. But, you know, the, I started to see benefits in my own life from meditating after just a few weeks. And it's just rolled on from there. Yeah, no, I think you and I share a couple of different things. Um, I'm not a co-founder, but um, I do share that news background. And um, back in my day when, you know, I was a TV reporter, um, I also experienced my first panic attack. And I remember talking to a therapist and she helped me get into my body, right? Drop out of that brain um, and into my belly with deep breaths. And it sounds very simple, but there's a science to that, right? With um, navigating and maintaining and regulating the nervous system. Um, and that's when I kind of dove into yoga practice, which led into meditation. And like you're saying, the brain, it's, it's a muscle, it's an organ that you can build uh, reps around. And, and then it gives you a little bit more strength and kind of confidence in navigating these difficult times. Um, I want to play a little bit uh, from 10% Happier that kind of explain more of producer pull that up. As you move through all of this, how do you want to be? Anxious, irritable, and white-knuckled? Or instead, might it be possible to navigate the current challenges with a little more clarity, focus, and mindfulness? Cultivating our own resilience makes it possible for us to show up the way we want to for our families and for our communities. The Summer Sanity Challenge is a 21-day reset featuring guided meditations from some of the world's greatest teachers, bringing expertise and wisdom from diverse backgrounds. We don't promise unicorns and rainbows, but we do think this will be a great way for you to reestablish or restart or reinvigorate your meditation habit. The goal here is to help you build resilience so that you're less buffeted by circumstances that none of us can control and are therefore calmer, happier, and better able to help out. So Dan, I'm curious, um, with 10% Happier, what have you heard from um, users, we have seen a spike in various meditation app downloads. Um, where are people gravitating to? What are you seeing in terms of user behavior? Huge increase in interest. Uh, I think our, you know, I don't know if I'm going to say this completely accurately, but my understanding was uh, during the pandemic, or at least during the first few months of the pandemic, downloads of our app doubled. Uh, massive increase in audience on the 10% Happier podcast as well. So what we're seeing is that people really are interested in um, mental health right now because 
what's going on sucks uncontrollably mm-hmm. and we're s- stuck in our homes many of us stuck in our homes with kids or we're or we're not stuck in our home and we feel like we're in danger um we have this massive amount of uncertainty about what's going to happen in the future we have of course the BLM movement this sort of national and international reckoning with race which is you know, I think incredibly important, but also difficult. On top of all of that, we have a, an election. So there's an enormous amount of tumult right now. And that drives, we're seeing that drive people toward meditation apps and happiness or mental health related podcasts, uh, or at least the stuff that we're doing. And as you mentioned, we are doing a, t- a challenge right now, a 21 day meditation challenge, which is designed to get people to start meditating or restart or reinvigorate their habit. And uh, I think you just played a clip from that. I, the way this technology works, you played a clip that somehow you and I couldn't see it. But I believe that was from the meditation challenge. We call it the Summer Sanity Challenge. And so really, I, that that title speaks to a big focus at 10% Happier, which is to talk about meditation in a way in which it's not normally talked about, with, meaning with a sense of humor, with an avoidance of many of the traditional cliches. Um, because I think th- there are many skeptical people who would be interested in meditation, but aren't doing it because they don't like the traditional presentation. And so while we, we rely heavily on uh, millennia of uh, practice, for sure, we're not denying the roots of meditation. We, we do try to bring in sort of a rawness, a vulnerability, a sense of humor uh, that hopefully makes it more attractive to people who would otherwise reject it. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson, especially for our Adweek audience, for for brand marketers, right? About making something accessible and um, kind of reframing what meditation is, whether we call it stress relief or what. Um, but do you think that, you know, 2020 brought an inflection point for the practice and the introduction of meditation as it did for, you know, say social unrest, um, that more people are going to talk openly perhaps about mental health and, and it'll change, um, conversations going forward. I've just been seeing the stigmas around mental health and the broader acceptance of meditation, which are related for sure. Uh, I've been seeing improvements on these fronts for years, and I think the 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 virus, for all of its wretched implications, one positive implication is that we're seeing even further or accelerated benefits because people are really forced to look at their own minds in many ways and look at their own lives. And so I do think that will be one positive outcome here. And yeah, it is. I think it's a really interesting challenge to think about how to approach this, we're going to need many different voices and many different approaches because there's such a diversity among human beings. Uh, So we at TPH, 10% Happier, are also, you know, are working on uh, how we talk to, how we reach broad audiences, but we're going to, you know, I'm aware that as, as right now, the face of the company, my appeal is limited because of who I am. So we're working on diversifying the folks that we present to the public. And I also think we just need, uh, and through my podcast in particular, I really like to try to elevate voices from all different kinds of backgrounds uh, so that we can reach every possible audience because human flourishing should not be limited to the wealthy with disposable income. This is really, I think, something that is a birthright. 
Yeah, and and you mentioned that you're kind of the face, right, and the the talking head um, for ten percent happier or TPH. Um, I want to ask a personal question of what has meditation shown you about yourself and who you are? I mean, I, I write books about this, so I can give you long answers, <laughs> really long answers. Um, uh, I'm actually writing uh, my third book right now, so I'm thinking about this in many different ways. But let me just take the issue of bias. Um, I think one of the really humbling things that I've just noticed in my own mind is we like to think of ourselves as good people, or at least I like to think of myself as a good person. But the more self-aware you become through this process of meditation, the more aware, if you're seeing clearly, you you may become of your own biases um, on any number of levels, whether it's race or gender or uh, physical ability, sexual identity, the whole number of ways in which we have biases that have been injected into us by our families or by the larger culture. And it can be very painful to see this. However, one of the, the that's sort of the bad news, but the good news of meditation is that you, you start to see, and I, I hinted at this already, you start to see that some of these attitudes that might become unearthed, uh, one, that they're not personal. It's not like I opted for whatever biases may be entrenched in my mind somewhere. They are, there's an expression that my friend Seven A Selassie likes to quote from, I forget who she's quoting, but the, the expression, which is what matters here, is that you think you're thinking your thoughts, but in fact, you're thinking the culture's thoughts. In other words, you we are programmed by the world around us. And so seeing that can lower the temperature and then make room for you to work with and uh overcome your biases so that you can act in kinder and fairer ways in the world. And that's a really, it starts out humbling and painful, but it becomes really empowering. So that's just one way in which meditation can impact a life. Yeah. I like to think of it as unlearning and peeling away the the layers of the onion. Um, Cause I'm a very like, you know, into metaphors. Um, I want to go back to, to news. I know you're still contributing to, um, ABC News. And, um, you know, it, let's talk about mindfulness of, of news consumption. I know for myself, you know, sometimes it's it's still a lot. Maybe it's one of the reasons why I, I left kind of the breaking news environment too. But as a consumer, right, of the balance of um, knowledge, awareness of what's happening in the world, and also getting kind of to um, wrapped up in, in, you know, what seems very negative and big, especially with, you know, the election coming up. I know a lot of people feel anxiety about um, the future. So how do you advise people kind of look at their um, news consumption and, and, you know, broadly more about the what's happening around them? You're pointing to something very important. I guess the first thing I'd say is if you or anybody else is feeling anxious, you're not malfunctioning, you're not broken. I think it just means that you're paying attention. There's no way to wave off the varying, the various crises we're dealing with right now. And uh, if you're paying attention, it's just inevitable that you're going to feel some concern about this. So I do think it comes down to sort of titrating your news consumption. And this is more art than science. 
And I think this is where meditation can really help, which is, or actually what I want to say is this is where mindfulness can really help. And mindfulness is one of the fruits of meditation. And mindfulness is a word that often gets thrown around these days as a kind of buzzword. One simple definition of mindfulness is the kind of self-awareness that we generate through meditation. It's the ability to notice what's happening in your head and in your body at any given moment so that you're not carried away by it. And this, as you might imagine, is incredibly useful when you find yourself three hours into a Twitter hole or you're just, you know, uh, um, compulsively refreshing uh, the New York Times or, or ABC News or whatever it is. I don't want to tell people since my checks get signed by a news division, I don't want to tell people you shouldn't be checking the news. I think you should as it's it's your job as a citizen to stay informed. But at some point, your the rumbling of your stomach, uh, the headache, the burning of your ears, whatever it is, the self-awareness can pick up on these bodily signals and tell you, yeah, I've I've had enough. It's time to turn this off and have a, com a conversation with an actual human being or to exercise or to get some sleep or to meditate or whatever it is. And so it's about titration in some. And I really think that meditation and the fruit of meditation, which is mindfulness, can help you titrate effectively. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, and hopefully, you know, it's just about planting seeds and giving yourself the opportunity to, to grow from that. Um, you know, lastly, I want to kind of end with one or two sentences on what is the future of mindfulness or let's stick with mindfulness, even though it's a trendy term, you know, I, I, I kind of love it. Um, what is the future of mindfulness or where is it? I think it's bright. Um, I'm not particularly good at prognostication, but, you know, as we discussed, I think there's increased interest as a consequence. There's been increasing interest for a while. Um, I've just watched it play out really being on the, having a front row seat um, as both a, a journalist who writes about this stuff and a practitioner and now an entrepreneur. Um, and I think the coronavirus, as, as discussed for all of its terrible uh, consequences, one, I do think it is accelerating the interest in mindfulness. And I think it's, it's really, you know, there's so many reasons to be pessimistic when you look at the world, but the fact that an increasing number of people are pulling themselves out of the chaos, out of the sort of mindless momentum, the toppling forward of modern life and shutting their eyes and sitting still for a minute or two minutes or five minutes or whatever it is, familiarizing themselves with the working of their own mind so that they're not so owned by whatever neurotic obsession flits through their mind at any given moment. That's a really, really wholesome and promising development because I don't think we need to have every human being on earth meditating or developing mindfulness. That would be great. I'm, I'm not a utopian. I don't know that that's in the offing, at least immediately, but calm is contagious. And if we have an increasing number of vectors of calm out there in the culture, that is a really powerful counter programming against the panic and mindlessness and mendacity and malice that predominates in many corners of our culture. And so I think the the more sort of uh, uh, positive uh, uh, players we can put out into the system, that can really help. If th this, this 
uh, increased self-awareness, this ability to boost mental, mental skills such as mindfulness and compassion can have an incredible benefit on, on how we behave in traffic, on how we contribute to social media, on how we play in politics, how we show up in parenting and relationships. And so I, I am, while I am not a utopian, I really do believe that there is potential here for this practice to have a positive impact on the arc of history. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, can be, that I think can be grounded in reality. And those are the kinds of clusters that we want. Dan Harris from 10% Happier. We're so um, thrilled to have you had joined us on Adweek Together. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Co M and edited by Lane McGivney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews make us feel better and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, you can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.